Welcome to Working Overtime, the advice-focused Andor to Working's Rogue One. I am your host, Isaac Butler. And I'm your other host, Nate Chinen. So, Isaac, what are we talking about today? Well, Nate, recently on Working Overtime, Jude and I answered a listener letter about freelancing and making the jump from full-time job to full-time freelancing. And, you know, it's a conversation. We talked about that kind of stuff a few times on here, of course. And, And my good friend, Jamie Green, who's also a friend of the pod, wrote me to say, hey, you guys never talk about anchor jobs on these episodes. And I realized she was right. And not only is she right, but she was the best person we could possibly have on here to talk about anchor jobs. And so she is here. Jamie Green, welcome once again to Working Overtime. Hello. Very happy to be back. Let me first ask for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with the term, what is an anchor job? Is it a job that you get as soon as you enter a country to establish citizenship or what? No, it's a job that you tie to your leg and it weighs you down to the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Oh, great. Good. Yes. Perfect. (laughs) No, an anchor job or an anchor gig is like a steady running gig or part-time job that eases the fluctuations of freelancing. It's something dependable, consistent, whether it's a recurring client or part-time work. When it was first explained to me, it was described through the metaphor of a mall, the way that like a mall Mm -hmm. has all these little stores, but the department stores are just the big, sturdy businesses anchoring all the fluctuations and frivolity of the littler stores. Got it. So you need the uh, target Yes. That is going to keep your all lace doily emporium <laughs> open or, or exactly. Got it. Got it. So, Nate, let me ask, have you ever had an anchor job or have you always been either full time freelance or full time staff? I have. In fact, there was a, a period in the early 2000s when I was working at AOL City Guide. Do you remember this place? Mm-hmm. I do not. <laughs> I was a New York editor and eventually became the managing editor of the New York office with a staff of about a dozen people Mm. that I supervised. And, you know, it was a full-time job. It was not unrelated to what I do as a writer, but I was moonlighting as a jazz critic, uh, first for the Village Voice and then for the New York Times. So what about you, Isaac? Well, you know, my first answer was like, no, I'm not sure. Maybe it's been a while. But then I realized... Isn't this show my anchor job? I think this show is is my anchor job, right? Like it's a part-time job. It has a regular schedule. You know, like every Thursday of my week is basically taken up by working, by recording stuff for working, whether it's interviews or the episodes or whatever. It provides stability and a constant level of money, not enough to live off of, but like I know a certain amount of money is going to be coming in no matter what. And I, I think that fits your description, right, Jamie? Absolutely. And I think you also had a think tank job. Yes, that was yes, part-time yes. That too, was a right? long time ago. Yeah, that was a half-time job where I was doing communications and strategy for an anti-racist think tank. And I did that right before I went to grad school and then after I went to grad mm-hmm. school, uh, if I remember correctly. Now, Jamie, I will say, though... I think of you as the queen of the anchor job. I mean, I feel like you have several anchor jobs or maybe you've just had several in succession or like, like, I just feel like you're so good at this. So, so tell me about your anchor job experience. I have always had some sort of anchor gig while I've been freelancing. I've been freelance Mm. since 2017 and was terrified of being freelance. And it was only when it was like framed to me through like, no, don't worry, you are not trying to get all of your income from $300 
pieces you're writing for the internet, right? Like that's just not possible. So I've had over the last six years, a succession of anchor jobs. My first one was writing a weekly or fortnightly newsletter for a an entertainment startup, which in the way of many tech startups paid way more than it should have. So that was really nice. Then through you, Isaac, I got my next one, which was doing editing and writing for a different <laughs> anti-racist think tank. Yeah. <laughs> anti-racist think tank. Yeah. And so, you know, I was editing reports for them and helping write grants and things like that. And then my next steady gig was a sort of 10 hours a week editing job for Slate. I was the associate editor of Future Tense, a collaboration between Slate New America and Arizona State University. And so that was my steady bit of income where I knew I had a certain amount coming in. And now I'm adjuncting and that's, you know, it's not quite the same as an anchor gig because in some ways an anchor gig makes space for your creative work and teaching takes up a lot of space. And I'm doing teaching because I want to be developing that part of my career. But it is steady work. Mm. It's a paycheck that is coming in that I can project ahead several months. Like I am not freewheeling, you know, spontaneous devil may care sort of person. I need stability. I want to know what my income is going to look like six months from now. I guess I also I'm series editor of Best American Science and Nature Writing. That is a recurring ongoing gig. So there's also that. And I do also every year do some writing consulting for science grad students at Columbia University every fall. So that is like, even though it's not constant, every fall, I know I've got another chunk of work coming in. So mm. yeah, I would say I do have a lot of anchor gigs. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing you bring up there that I think is really important to highlight is that you know, we do have this image of the the freelance artist, the full-time freelancer, the artistic type, maybe in a caftan, I don't know, but sort of wafting <laughs> from job to job, kind of maybe sometimes being about to lose their, be kicked out on the street or go hungry, but it's glamorous and they're chain smoking and they're drinking free red wine at literary events or at the, at the salon and they're finding a wealthy man or woman to be their sugar daddy or mom or, you know, whatever it is. And actually that myth is complete BS and and you could be a type A left-brained person. And in fact, (laughs) many ways that will make this life kind of easier, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, people are like, how do you make sure you have enough money coming in? I'm like, I have a spreadsheet. Yeah. (laughs) The same (laughs) way everyone else does. And I project out all the way. And, you know, it's also in thinking about like our idealized visions of what it means to be a successful freelance artist. I was thinking about how when I was a kid and really into theater, I thought that an actor was only successful when they were on Broadway, mm-hmm. which is just like so foolish because now I know that like there is great art happening off Broadway. You probably can't make a full time living from it. But like being on Broadway is not any sort of like important threshold. There's a lot of kinds of theater that don't happen on Broadway. And I think it's a similar thing for being a freelance artist. It is not a sort of reasonable goal to say I will be successful when I make all of my money from my art. Right. That's just almost no one gets to do that, whether you're a novelist or a musician or a freelance writer or a journalist. It was so helpful to me to realize that that wasn't the goal and that wasn't the metric of success. Well, this is amazing, and we will have much more to say about this subject right after this. 
Hey, listeners, just wanted to remind you that we love hearing from you. Do you have a question that needs answering, advice you want to give or receive, guests you'd like to hear from? Well, drop us a line. We are at working at slate.com, or you could give us a call at 304-933-9675 and leave a message. That's 304-933-WORK. We are back. Now, Jamie, of course, it is one thing to say, ah, yes, I will go out and get an anchor gig, which will provide me with stability and some sense of my finances over the coming years. And it's another thing to actually go out and do it. So for someone, one of our listeners maybe who's thinking, oh, maybe I'm kind of ready to make this transition away from full-time work. How do you go about getting one of these jobs? Speaking from experience, I was very lucky that a lot of my anchor gigs came to me through word of mouth. When I was getting let go from when Twitter was still functional, I posted about that fact and sort of word got around and someone connected me with the the newsletter company. And so really just like letting people know that you are looking for work, what kind of skills you have, what sort of things you're looking for is really, really helpful. But I also... I don't know, I like found out about the Slate job on Twitter and applied for it. You know, there are part-time jobs. I think it's also worth thinking about how your skills can be used in ways other than making your art. Another one of the the sort of reframes of freelancing that made me feel like it was something I could do and wanted to do was when someone told me that they don't think about freelancing as an artistic decision. They think about it as a business decision. It makes room for your art. But it is about saying, like, how can I use my skills to sort of cobble together or quilt together a bunch of different work that will make me money? And in doing this, I'm giving myself the flexibility to have time for work that's not paid as well or to do the variety of things that I want to do. Like at one point when I was freelancing, I was doing science writing and personal essays and reviewing romance novels. There is no single staff job that would have let me do that. So thinking about like, what are your skills and what other uses can those be put to? So maybe it's editing. I know a lot of writers who do content writing or content strategy for corporations, people who have way more money than the publications who are paying us for our bylined work or our like creative work. Jamie, you you mentioned the writing and editing gigs. And it reminds me that, you know, so much of the the anchor gig work that supplements your other gigs, it can be just sort of branching off from from what the art actually is. I write about jazz and jazz musicians extensively. And so this is, you know, these are the this is the original gig economy, right? And so many jazz musicians are on faculty at conservatories or they give private lessons. But the the teaching thing, I've spoken with a lot of musicians who actually find that working with these young players in this formative stage and being able to sort of articulate how to do this thing, it's actually then fed their art. And so I wonder if you have any thoughts about that, like when the anchor gig actually translates into some sort of gain or benefit for your artistic practice. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think in order for an anchor gig to be beneficial, you want it to either, as Isaac said, have a good, you know, income to energy ratio, right? So that you can save time and energy for your personal work. Or it should be feeding you in some way. And I really do, mm-hmm. I, I definitely feel that with teaching. So much about how I think about my own writing and my own process 
came through things I learned while teaching. And also some of my other work, like editing, becoming a better editor makes me a better writer. It unfortunately does not make me capable of entirely editing my own work, but, uh, you know, maybe someday. And, you know, doing my work for Best American Science and Nature Writing just means that I'm reading a lot of science writing and getting paid for it. You can also think about anchor gigs as a way to build your connection to your creative community. You know, Best American Science and Nature writing connects me to a lot of other writers that way. Even teaching, like my teaching colleagues are also now, they're like creative colleagues also. I'm curious to ask both of you, you know, what you think are some of the ideal aspects maybe of the of the anchor job, you know, like, like, for example, working, I really love doing working, it's a great gig. But, you know, part of what I like about it is that it is in a creative field, but it does not involve writing because I feel like, I mean, I do some writing of questions or whatever, but it's not actually using those same creative muscles because I feel like if it did, it would actually kind of blow out my circuits and I would have trouble writing. You know what I mean? And another thing it does is exactly what Jamie was talking about is that like, I'm constantly talking about the creative process, which is really helpful when I'm trying to figure out like the process <laughs> for my next book. Cause you have to kind of reinvent it every time, you know? So I'm just curious about your thoughts. What do you think, Nate? Well, it's interesting. I really think this is a case-by-case sort of personality thing yeah. because, you know, one of the sort of classic cultural examples of the the anchor job is like the actor who waits tables, right? And I'm sure there's there's so many people in that position who really like it is literally just about the paycheck. But there's probably some people who actually get something out of that scenario and would rather be waiting tables than like working in an office. And so I don't know. For me, I I do think that if you are spending all of your working hours doing the thing that you then are also trying to do in your creative practice, like that is a recipe for burnout. Yeah. And I think it's worth thinking about the difference or differentiating between a day job, an anchor job, and then just like No job. No job, right? Because like a day job would be full time and you're like doing your work outside of that. But with an anchor job, it's like it's the steady bit of your freelancing is how I think about it. That like Mm. on my spreadsheet, you know, it used to be that I would just like every month had a a $2,000 built in. And so that was $2,000 of income that I didn't have to find with pitching, with articles, with finding editing clients. So that's a very important component of it, that you can project it forward and that it's pretty stable. People also talk about having anchor clients. Um, these are just clients for whom you're, you know, writing three articles a month. And so you know that steady. But it can be really helpful to me to think about the middle ground between, say, working, which even though it's not writing, is, I think, Isaac, part of your creative output. And it's bylined and you're like yes, out totally. in the world with it versus waiting tables, which is just like, a part-time job, right? And I think for me, thinking about anchor gigs is like, it really helps if you are not necessarily looking for something that is public facing, that is bylined, that is something you would put on your like website, you know, to show your work. Right. But maybe it's ghostwriting, maybe it's editing, letting it be behind the scenes and letting go of the fact that you're only a successful freelance artist if all of your income comes from your artistic work. That for me was the big turning point. And that's why I actually think it's kind of iffy for me to say that teaching is an anchor job, A, because it is also like a professional thing I'm pursuing. But 
for me, even when it's going great, does not replenish my energy. It saps my energy. It does not pay very well for the energy or for the hours. And so it's not a great strategic choice. Anchor gigs should ideally make room for your creative work and sort of take some of the pressure of finding income off so that you can write the article that's only going to pay $300 for, you know, 1,200 words or whatever it is to make that space to pursue your art without having to always worry about the money. It's like being your own sugar daddy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm flashing to that image that you you gave us earlier of like the, the anchor tied around someone's leg. Pulling <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. We will talk about some ways it can inadvertently get tied around your ankle after this break. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying this show, you should do yourself a favor and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You'll never miss an episode. If you already subscribe, why don't you leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts? You'll be surprised by how much those little things help us find more listeners. Thanks. Now back to the show. I do want to talk about the potential pitfalls, not of having an anchor job, but of specific jobs, you know, how they can go kind of awry. I'll give an example, right? Like sometimes a halftime job is a full-time job that pays half as much, <laughs> not even intentionally. You know, it's not even that anyone has any ill will or is trying to take advantage of you. Sometimes it's actually just that you care too much. And so you're thinking about it all the time and, and it can kind of take over your life. Like I, I'm someone who has trouble disengaging from things. You know, I commit to things really intensely and like even getting to the point where I organized this show in such a way that it took up a certain amount of time in my week and not the whole week was challenging when we first started doing it. Jamie, I, I'm interested, you know, you've been through a bunch of these different jobs. I'm sure this is a challenge you've thought about, you know, reviewing romance novels. You got to read a lot of romance yeah. novels, you know, <laughs> you know, it eats up your TBR pile. How do you think about adjusting your approach or whatever in a way that, that prioritizes your work the way it needs to be prioritized? Yeah, it can be a real challenge for overachievers and perfectionists and people who seek praise, <laughs> you know, like accepting the idea of just doing a good enough job and not doing a great job. You know, that's an idea that I encountered from parenting, from the ideas of um, Donald Winnicott, the idea of the good enough mother. And I like take that into everywhere in my life. It's like one of the most therapeutic ideas I've ever encountered. Mm -hmm. And so being aware that you don't need to be the best at your anchor job. You don't need to be amazing at it. You just need to be good enough. But there are jobs where there can be a lot of urgency, and that can be very challenging in a anchor job. Um, when I was doing that writing and editing for my anti-racist think tank, sometimes there were really fast turnarounds, and there was urgency, and there was high stakes. And that became a challenge because I was like, this isn't supposed to be my number one priority. This right. isn't supposed to push other things onto the back burner. So... Being aware of that when you're looking for jobs, maybe when you're interviewing, can be really helpful. I was really lucky that my slate editing job, my boss, was like very aware of boundaries. And her priority was you work the hours a week that you have available and you get done within that time what you can get done, which is unfortunately a rare attitude from a boss. Totally. First of all, I, I feel really left out that I have never worked for an anti-racist think tank, but <laughs> never say never, Nate. There's definitely, we know a few if you want connections. There's clearly a need. So 
Jamie, what what other category of pitfalls, though, have you encountered? I, I'm really struck by this, the, the sort of overachiever thing. My <laughs> wheels are turning about it. But what other sort of character traits or like or bad fits might there be between a, you know, a creative person and an anchor job? We sort of already touched on it, but jobs that don't have firm boundaries, jobs that expand to fill up the space that you give them, teaching is like that. Yeah. Students are sending emails all the time. You're always thinking of, or you can always be thinking about, you know, grading. What am I going to do about tomorrow's lesson? Do I want to pick a different reading? Could, be, could it be better? Am I doing a very bad job? But sort of like with the perfectionist stuff, a lot of that can be dealt with in how you deal with the job, in setting up boundaries. I tell my students that I do not answer emails over the weekend. Do I look at emails over the weekend? Yes. Do I then sometimes answer them? Yes. But I have set that boundary so that I know there's no expectation that I'm going to do it. But I took a break from teaching for a while because it was expanding and expanding to fill up all the space and like push everything out. So part of it is really being clear with yourself about like, what is the job you are doing for money? And what is the job you are doing because you love it? And if you love what you're doing in your anchor job and you become passionate about it, that can be fine. But I could see becoming too emotionally involved in it actually being a problem and maybe a reason that you need to find something different. Yeah, that definitely strikes a chord with me. And and I'll return to the story of my one and only like, well, I don't know. I don't even know now thinking about the taxonomy of like the anchor job <laughs> versus the day job. But this was a job in the, the early 2000s when I was working at AOL City Guide. And, and I, I took it seriously, you know, like I, I really did want to do a good job in this corporate digital media environment. I was managing editor. I really cared a lot about our metrics and I tried to, I tried to be a good manager and like, care for my staff and all these things. But what I really cared about was being a music critic, which was really had been crowded out to only nights and weekends. And I knew it was time to quit after about six months of reviewing music for the New York Times when I realized like what what should have been like an afternoon deadline for my, you know, my concert reviews was effectively like a 7 a.m. deadline because I then had to go into the office, you know, and right. I was developing like carpal tunnel and I was like not sleeping right. And it was just like, I am going to die if I, it's got to be one or the other. And I chose uh, full-time freelancing instead of my corporate overlord. You know, when I left the think tank, it was literally that I didn't have enough time to do the work they needed me to do as well as it needed to be done. And it was something that I cared a great deal about, you know, ending racism is, uh, you know, that's a little important. And they were people I knew well personally. You know, one of them was a really close friend of mine. So leaving was hard, but also staying, I knew I wasn't going to do good work. And part of that was that my daughter was six months old, right? And I had a commission uh, for a show. This was a show I did at BAM in 2015. And and, you know, it was programmed in a season. It's not like it could be put off. It had to be done. I had to finish writing it by a certain point or it would not get made. And so it wasn't solvable without me quitting that job. And that was really, it became almost kind of inevitable. What about you, Jamie? I mean, you know, sometimes I know projects end or, you know, something wraps. For you, is it most of the time been a kind of inevitability or like, I can't keep doing this. I can't read one more goddamn romance novel or whatever it is. I think for the most part, it's when the job has no longer lined up with my goals and what I need it to be. So like I left 
the think tank because the urgency of the work was overpowering my time. And I I think I left that job when I got the slate job. So that was just trading one anchor job for another. But the slate job was more public facing, more aligned with the work that I was doing. I think for me, it's been a lot of sort of coalescing my anchor jobs around the focus of my career, which feels like like a, a form of progressing through your creative career that isn't measured in how much of my income is coming from my creative work. But like I stopped reviewing the romance novels because my career was coalescing around science writing and it just didn't fit in anymore. And it was really all I had time to read. And like, I love romance novels, but that was just, that was a little too much. And similarly, leaving the think tank and going into the part-time editing job, it was sort of like things zero in. And so even your anchor job can become something that is closer to what your creative work is, whether that's in the subject matter or the kind of work that you're doing, things just sort of become clearer about the work that you want to do. When I started freelancing, I didn't know that I was going to be trying to write a science book. And then, you know, it just sort of, I was like, oh, I'm figuring out my path. I'm figuring out my vision for my career. And so I was finding opportunities to bring my anchor jobs into closer alignment with that. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. I'd really like to thank Jamie Green for being our guest this week and to tell everyone listening to check out Jamie's book, The Possibility of Life. It's one of the best books I've read this year. If you love aliens, if you love thinking about what is a human being, why does life exist, if you want to learn about what an alien anus might be like, this is the book for you. And before we go, one other reminder, please subscribe to Working Wherever You Get Your Podcasts. If you have ideas for things we could do better or questions you'd like us to address, we would love to hear from you. You can send us an email at workingatslate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. If you'd like to support what we do, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus. You'll get bonus content, including exclusive episodes of Decoder Ring and Big Mood, Little Mood. And you'll be supporting what we do right here on Working. Thanks, as always, to Kevin Bendis and to our series producer, Cameron Drews, who are not anchors around our ankles, but rather the wind beneath our wings. We'll be back on Sunday with a brand new episode. Until then, get back to work. <laughs>